السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد کریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری و یسر علی عمری وحل العقدانی قولی ربنا تفریق الغسلی ولودوئی تفریق از فرم فرق یو فرق تفریق وچ از ٹو کریٹ ڈویژن میننگ ٹو سیپریٹ ٹو سیپریٹ وٹ الغسل دا غسل ول ودو اینڈ دا ودو وٹ از دس مین میننگ دیٹ وائل اے پرسن از پرفارمنگ غسل ہی ٹیکس اے بریک ہی ڈیوائڈ دا غسل ان ٹو ٹو پارٹس سو فار ایگزامپل ہی پرفارمس ہاف آف ہز غسل ایٹ ون ٹائم اینڈ دین بیکاز آف سم ریزن لیٹ سے دا واٹر رین or there was an urgent phone call or something so a person had to stop or there was an emergency so he had to attend to it and then when he went back to taking his ghusl he resumed from where he left off likewise wudu tafriq in wudu is what that a person is performing wudu but then he stops somewhere in the middle and then later on he resumes where he had left off so is this permissible or is it not This is the question that is this permissible or is it not permissible? Imam Bukhari is basically referring to the issue of mualat. Not mualat when it comes to wilaya with the kuffar. No, mualat in its literal uh, meaning, the word mualat means to join together. And it is basically to join together all of the steps of wudu, all of the steps of ghusl, that a person maintains the right order and he also uh, performs them in one go. without giving a pause, without giving a break in the middle. So, is this permissible? Is this a condition for the validity of wudu? Is this a condition for the validity of ghusl? Or for either or for both? So basically, this is the issue that Imam Bukhari is referring to over here. Now, the scholars have differed concerning this. Some scholars, they said that mualat is not a shart, meaning it is not a condition of wudu or of ghusl, that you join together all of the steps. No, you can give a break, you can pause in the middle. And they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an to, you know, wash the face, wash the arms, wash the feet, wipe the head, and we do that. Even if we give, you know, a break of two hours in the middle, or three hours in the middle, they say that as long as we're fulfilling all of the steps of wudu, it doesn't matter because we are, we're doing it at the end of the day. So this was the opinion of some scholars. So they said that, A person can give a pause during wudu, during ghusl, and even if the wudu dries up or the ghusl dries up, he does not need to repeat, he does not need to start all over again. He can just resume from wherever he left off. And he could have left off in the middle for some valid reason or out of forgetfulness or just to take a break. He didn't feel like continuing, so they said it's okay. But other scholars have said, no, mualat is a shart, and this is a stronger opinion. That mualat is a shart. That if a person does not have mualat in wudu or in ghusl, then his wudu, his ghusl is invalid. That if a person washes his hands, takes a break for 10 minutes, comes back, rinses his mouth, and takes a break for 15 minutes, and then comes back and you know washes his face, this is not wudu. What's the evidence? The evidence is, first of all, the verse in the Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, O oh, you have believed, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ That the command is فَغْسِلُوا 
Okay, and this fa it gives the benefit of mubadala, meaning of doing something quickly. And the rest of the commands that are mentioned, meaning after washing the face, washing the arms, and wiping the head, and washing the feet, they are all connected with wow. And wow is what? Harf atf. And you know that harf atf, the same ruling applies over there too. So this is why they said that when you have to wash the face right away, then that means you have to wash the arms right away. And you have to wipe the head right away. And then you have to follow that by washing the feet immediately after as well. So this is one evidence. Another evidence is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, in which we learned that once the Prophet ﷺ saw a man who had not completed his wudu, meaning he left out a part of his foot, meaning he left it dry. Okay, so when the Prophet ﷺ observed that, he told him, Irjir fa'ahsin wudu'ak. Go back and do your wudu properly. Meaning he didn't tell him to go and just wash his foot or wash that part of the foot. No, he told him to repeat the wudu. So this shows that if there is a gap in the middle, a break in the middle, whether it is for a genuine reason or because a person forgot, then that wudu is invalid and that ghusl is invalid. And a person has to start all over again. Because wudu and ghusl, both of them, they are a single act of worship. You know, just like salah, it's a single act of worship. It's not like your rukur is a separate act of worship and your sajda is a separate act of worship and your qiyam is a separate act of worship. So you go, you know, say your qiyam, then you go take a break and then you feel like doing rukur, so you just do rukur. No, you can't do that. If you do that, that's not salah. Why? Because salah is a single act of worship which you have to complete in one shot, in one go. Likewise, wudu is also a single act of worship and ghusl is also a single act of worship. When it comes to Hajj, for example, is that similar? No, it's different. It's spread out over a number of days. You eat in the middle, you sleep in the middle, you travel in the middle, you use the washroom, you can take a bath. There's lots of things that you do in the middle. So it's not a single act of worship per se, just like wudu and ghusl are. So this is the reason why when a person starts to do wudu, then he must complete it. And if he's not able to complete it, then later on, what does he have to do? He has to start all over again. So what's the conclusion that muwalat is a shart of wudu? But remember that this does not mean that a person cannot pause for a few moments even in the middle. No, he can do that. Because as long as a person is in the same mindset that I am making wudu, let's say you are doing wudu, as soon as you wash your face, your, your baby came in crawling into the washroom. So you have to pause, you have to pick up your baby, you have to take him back to the room, put him there, and then come back. Now, if you have to start all over again, you won't be able to complete your wudu. Because every time you reach your arms, your baby's gonna crawl in again. Right? It happens sometimes. You can't leave the child unattended either. So you could be in a situation like that, so you don't have to repeat from the beginning. You don't have to start all over again. As long as the pause is very short, and you're in that same mindset. Likewise, you're doing wudu, somebody comes and starts having a conversation with you, and the tap is on. So you just close the tap, and then you respond to them, you talk to them, and then it's just for a few moments, and then you continue your wudu, that's also okay. Likewise, in the middle, you want to brush your teeth, you want to clean your teeth, you do miswak, so even that's okay. So there, there are two things that you have to, three things basically you have to remember when it comes to taking a pause in wudu or in ghusl. First of all, it should not be too long. It should not be too long. Secondly, a person should 
be in that state of mind that he is performing wudu. He should still be in that state of mind. Now, if you pause your wudu and you go and you are checking what's in the oven and then you start checking what's on the stove and then you're, you're cooking and then, you know, you forgot all about your wudu. Or you pick up the phone and then you're having a conversation. 15 minutes you're talking, you forgot all, all about your wudu. You're not in that state of mind anymore. So you have to be in that state of mind. And the third thing is that that the wudu should not have dried up or the ghusl should not have completely dried up. So for example, you washed your arms and you still have to wash your feet. You still have to do your masr of the head. But your face is still wet. Your arms are still wet, slightly damp. You can continue. But if they have completely dried up, that you don't even remember, did I wash my arms or no? Then you have to start all over again. So these are three things that we have to remember. Another fourth thing that some scholars have said is that if mu'alat is left out, meaning a person does not do wudu in one shot, does not complete it in one shot, why? For the purpose of obtaining tahara. Like for example, he has to go to a more cleaner place to wash his feet. So he has to take a pause. Do you see what I mean? Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. What if in the process, uh, the wudu dries up? It didn't take that long. Let's say it took less than a minute, but you are out in the open. It's sunny, it's hot. After a few moments even, the wudu will dry up, especially if you're walking. Even then, the scholars have said that wudu is still valid, meaning you can just go and wash your feet where you have to wash your feet. Why? Because you had to give a pause in order to obtain tahara. Because if you washed your feet where you were, then your feet would get dirty. And this is exactly what we learn from the action of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, which Imam Bukhari has mentioned, وَيُذْكَرُوا عَنْ إِبْنِ عُمَرَ And it has been mentioned from Ibn Umar, meaning his action, that أَنَّهُ غَسَلَ قَدَمَيْهِ That he washed both his feet بَعْدَمَا after جَفَّ وَضُوُهُ That after his wudu had dried up. Meaning, he did wudu, he did mas'h, but he did not wash his feet. Rather, he washed his feet after some time. And when he washed his feet, by that time, the rest of the wudu had dried up. Why did he do that? This incident is reported by Imam Malik, and it's an authentic report, in which we learned that Ibn Umar anhu he did wudu in the marketplace. And he did not wash his feet. And right from there, he went straight to the masjid. And when he got to the masjid, he washed his feet, and then he entered and he prayed. Now, there is a valid reason why he did that. Because he was going to walk to the masjid. It may have been wet or muddy or dirty. Or he had this belief that if he washed his feet now, at that point, they would get dirty by the time he got there. And remember, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, what kind of shoes would he usually wear? Sandals. Open sandals. Remember the hadith that we learned? So obviously, if your feet are wet, you have just washed them. And then you walk across a sandy or a muddy path, then definitely your feet are going to get dirty. So this does not mean that, you know, we generalize this action of Ibn Umar anhu, and therefore we give long gaps, long pauses in the middle, and we say, oh, his wudu dried up, so our wudu can also dry up. No, there was a reason why he did that. And if we are in a similar situation, then we can do that as well. So what's the conclusion then? What do we learn? That mu'alat is a shart. It is a condition, okay? Meaning you have to join together all of the steps of wudu. If you don't do that, your wudu will be invalid. But if for a reason, a person has to give a pause, and as long as these four things are kept in mind, then inshallah, his wudu is okay.
Now what if a person did wudu and he forgot to wash his feet or forgot to wipe the socks and later on he remembered? Then what should a person do? Just repeat. He should just simply repeat. Okay, just do wudu all over again. You know, one is that you're in doubt. That's a different thing. But the other is that you're certain you did not wash your feet. Then your wudu was not valid. And we know that if the wudu is not valid, then salah is not valid without it. So both are necessary. Right? I think it all boils down to the purity of your intention. Yes. And your honesty with your basically. Because no one else is watching you, no one else is doing this. Allah is watching. Very true. So you, you have it in your heart, in your mindset. You know, these are intangible things. You cannot say, okay, this is done, so I can go on. That it's honesty with yourself, honesty with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will give you the furqan basically, right? That is this okay or is this not? Question is that if, you know, you do wudu, you forget to wipe your head and later on you remember, if it was just after a few, you know, moments, that's different. But if it was after an hour or something, then you have to repeat all over again. But other scholars, they have also kept tartib as a shart, meaning you have to maintain the order as well. Meaning, Wiping the head will come after washing the arms and before washing the feet. So if a person did not wipe the head, then that wudu is not wudu. He has to start all over again. When you are in doubt, then what are you supposed to do? When you're in doubt, remember, da'ma yuribuka ilama la yuribuka. Leave that which puts you in doubt to that which does not put you in doubt. So seek certainty. And the only way of seeking certainty is that you do it again. That's safer. It's better. Now, if you remember, we learned a principle that when a person is in doubt, then he should he should go for what he is certain of, the last thing that he is certain of. So, for example, if a person is not sure if he has wudu or not, then what is he going to go with? The last thing that he remembers doing for sure. So he will go with that. Another principle is that if shaitan is constantly bothering you, right, your waswasa, shak, then in that case, you will ignore the doubt. Like for example, in salah, if you're in doubt about whether or not you did ruku, then what will you do? You will just do ruku again. Because the last thing you remember, what's the more certain thing? That you did not do ruku. So just do it again. These two principles are similar, but they're slightly different. Basically, go with what you are more certain of. And leave the doubt for that which you know is more certain. So what are the hadith? حدثنا محمد بن محبوب قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا الأعمش عن سالم بن أبي الجعدي عن كريب مولى بن عباس عن ابن عباس قال he said قالت ميمونة ميمونة رضي الله عنها she said وضعت لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ماء يغتسل به I left some water for the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم so that he could do غسل with it فَأَفْرَغَ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ So he poured water on both his hands. فَغَسَلَهُمَا مَرَّتَيْنِ مَرَّتَيْنِ أَوْ ثَلَاثًا Then he washed them both twice or thrice. ثُمَّ أَفْرَغَ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى شِمَالِهِ Then he poured with his right hand onto his left hand, meaning some water. فَغَسَلَ مَذَاكِيرَهُ And then he washed his private part with the left hand on which he had poured the water. ثُمَّ دَلَكَ يَدَهُ بِالْأَرْضِ Then he rubbed his hand on the ground. Why? In order to clean it. ثُمَّ مَضْمَضَ وَاسْتَنْشَقَ Then he rinsed his mouth and 
also cleaned his nose. ثُمَّ غَسَلَ وَجْهَهُ وَيَدَيْهِ Then he washed his face and his hands. ثُمَّ غَسَلَ رَأْسَهُ ثَلَاثًا Then he washed his head three times. ثُمَّ أَفْرَغَ عَلَى جَسَدِهِ Then he poured water on his entire body. ثُمَّ تَنَحَّى مِن مَقَامِ Then he moved aside from his place where he was standing. And then فَغَسَلَ قَدَمَيْهِ And then he washed his feet at the end. So what do we see over here? A pause in the wudu. That he deferred washing his feet until the end. He performed the wudu at the beginning, did not wash the feet, but rather he washed them right at the end. So what does this show? That a person can give a pause as long as he is in the same mindset, okay? as long as the body has not dried up, and it is for the purpose of tahara, that he had to give a gap. So this was for the purpose of tahara, that he was washing his body, he was washing his head, and that it doesn't take too long. So all of these conditions are fulfilled. Therefore, such a gap is allowed. Bab man afraga biyaminihi ala shimalihi fil ghusl. The one who poured from his right with his right hand onto his left hand in the ghusl, meaning he took water with his right hand and he poured it onto the left hand. Why would he do that? For two reasons. One is that you want to do everything with the right hand. And if the left hand is dirty, you don't want to put that dirty hand into the bucket of water. Secondly, to keep the water clean. Because if you put the dirty hand into the clean water, that clean water can become dirty. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا أبو عوانة حدثنا الأعمش عن سالم بن أبي الجعدي عن كريب مولى بن عباس عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة بنت الحارث قالت وضعت لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم غسلا وسترته I placed some water for the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم to wash himself with وسترته and I also concealed him meaning I covered the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم while he was taking a bath so maybe she put a sheet or something so she shielded him she covered him فصب على يده then he poured on his hand what? the water فَغَسَلَهَا مَرَّةً أَوْ مَرَّتَيْنِ Then he washed it once or twice. قَالَ سُلَيْمَانْ لَا أَدْرِي أَذَكَرَ الثَّالِثَةَ أَمْ لَا One of the narrators, he said, I'm not sure whether he mentioned the third time or not. Meaning the one from whom he heard the hadith, he's not sure whether it was mentioned the Prophet ﷺ washed his hand the third time or not. ثُمَّ أَفْرَغَ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى شِمَالِهِ Then he poured from his right hand onto his left hand, فَغَسَلَ فَرْجَهُ Then he washed his private parts, ثُمَّ دَلَكَ يَدَهُ بِالْأَرْضِ أَوْ بِالْحَائِضِ Then he rubbed his hand on the ground or on the wall, ثُمَّ تَمَضْمَضَ وَاسْتَنْشَقَ وَغَسَلَ وَجْهُ وَيَدَيْهِ وَغَسَلَ رَأْسَهُ ثُمَّ صَبَّ عَلَى جَسَدِهِ ثُمَّ تَنَحَّى فَغَسَلَ قَدَمَيْهِ فَنَاوَلْتُهُ Then I gave to him خِرْقَةً خِرْقَة is a piece of cloth. Why did she give that to him? As a towel? So that he could dry himself up after taking a bath. فَقَالَ بِيَدِهِ هَكَذَا Then he said with his hand like this, meaning he gestured with his hand to indicate that he did not need it. وَلَمْ يُرِدْهَا And he did not intend it, meaning he did not want it. He did not want the cloth in order to wipe himself dry. So the hadith is similar as the previous one. This hadith is mentioned many times in this book. And one hadith, just slightly different versions, but so many lessons we learned. One of the lessons that we learn is that a person may scoop water with his right hand and pour onto the left and then wash himself. Another thing that we learn over here is that the Prophet ﷺ did not speak. He just gestured. So this shows that everything does not have to be communicated with words all the time. We can also use gestures and signals because it's faster. Once we start talking and explaining, then it takes longer. 
So he did not speak. He just used his signal, his gesture. Something that I have seen growing up, that my mother, whenever she she was busy doing something, or she preferred to communicate through gestures a lot. Because uh, it's faster, it's quicker, right? it saves time, and it's also easier on yourself and also on other people. Because if we're communicating, talking, talking, talking all the time, the other person's like, okay, give me a break. So it's a very effective way of communication. I'm not saying that don't talk. Talk as well. There should be a balance. But if you're busy doing something, then uh, it's better to communicate quickly through a gesture so that you can focus on what you're doing. باب إذا جمع ثم عاد ومن دار على نسائه في غسل واحد إذا جمع when a person had sexual intercourse ثم عاد and then he repeated meaning he repeated without taking a bath okay he repeated without taking a bath in the middle ومن دار على نسائه and the one and the one who made rounds, meaning he went to all of his women, fi غُسْلٍ wahid in one غُسْل, meaning he had sexual intercourse with his wives, if he had more, but he took only one bath at the end. So basically the question over here is whether after every sexual intercourse, غُسْل is mandatory or not. In other words, is it necessary for a person to take غُسْل before having sexual intercourse again, or not? It's not mandatory. It is, you can say it's better, you can say it's better to do wudu, but if a person does not, it's not a problem. It doesn't mean that a person does not come out of the state of impurity. The question over here is, that is it necessary to be in the state of tahara before having sexual intercourse again? No, it's not necessary. Alright? Whether a person is having sexual intercourse with the same wife or with another wife. Or is there a confusion here? You don't understand or you do? Raise your hand if you don't understand. Look at the statement. إِذَا جَامَعَ ثُمَّ عَادَ When a person had sexual intercourse and then he repeated. Meaning he had sexual intercourse again. In other words, he did not take a bath immediately after the sexual intercourse. Rather he, he had it again. وَمَنْ دَارَ عَلَى نِسَائِهِ فِي غُسْلٍ وَاحِدٍ And the one who went to his wives in one ghusl. Meaning he had sexual intercourse with multiple wives, one after the other. And then at the end he just took one bath. In the middle, he did not take a bath. Okay? You understand? So basically, the question is, that is it necessary to take a bath before having sexual intercourse again? What's the answer? It is not. You can say it's better, it's cleaner, but is it necessary? It's not. حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا ابن أبي عدي ويحيى بن سعيد عن شعبة عن إبراهيم بن محمد بن المنتشر عن أبيه قال he said ذكرته لعائشة I mentioned it to عائشة what the statement of ابن عمر رضي الله عنه okay in a longer version of the hadith that's mentioned over here it's not mentioned so he mentioned the statement of ابن عمر رضي الله عنه to who to عائشة what was that statement that when he said he would not put perfume even before taking the bath for the purpose of putting ihram on. Because it is permissible, right, that a person puts fragrance on his body and then he takes a bath and then he puts on the ihram. And even though when he's putting on the ihram, the fragrance is still there. That's permissible. But when Ibn Umar was asked about it, he said, no way, he wouldn't do it. He said, I would rather have qatiran, tar on my body than put perfume in this way. So this was mentioned to Aisha radiallahu anha. 
When she heard, فَقَالَتْ يَرْحَمُ اللَّهُ أَبَا عَبْدُ الرَّحْمَانِ May Allah have mercy on Abu Abdul Rahman, meaning on Ibn Umar رضي الله عنه. كُنْتُ أُطَيِّبُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ I would put perfume on the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ فَيَطُوفُ عَلَى نِسَائِهِ Then he would go to all of his wives, meaning to have relations. ثُمَّ يُصْبِحُ Then he would enter in the morning muhriman in the state of ihram. And يَنْضَخُ طِيبًا Smelling of fragrance. Now there are a number of things that we learn over here. First of all, we see that it is permissible for a person to put perfume and then take a bath for ihram. And even though after he puts on the ihram, you can still smell the perfume. It's completely permissible. You know that in the state of ihram, a person cannot put perfume on. That's not allowed. But before that, if he put it on and after afterwards, the fragrance is still there. Sometimes it happens that you put something on and it's so strong, especially on the body, that you can smell it until the end of the day. Sometimes the next morning. So this is something that is permissible to do. Then we see that Aisha anha she prayed for mercy for Ibn Umar anhu. Why did she do that? Because she knew that if he had seen the Prophet ﷺ doing that, he wouldn't have said such a harsh statement. This shows, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt to the other person, thinking positive thoughts about them. Because sometimes a person may say something based on whatever knowledge they have. And every human being has limited knowledge. And they strongly believe that. And you know something, perhaps, that they don't know. But how do we react at these times? We become so emotional and so upset and so angry. Or what does he know? He doesn't know anything. And he has this mistake. You know, he made that error. He doesn't know anything. You don't need to listen to such people. You know, we become very aggressive and harsh. Look at the attitude of Aisha anha. May Allah have mercy on Ibn Umar. If he had known, he wouldn't have said this. And then she mentioned herself that, Kuntu utayyibu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I myself would put perfume on him. And then in the morning, after taking a bath, he would still be smelling of that fragrance and he would be in the state of ihram. Then the relevance of this hadith under this chapter heading is that the hadith proves that the Prophet sallallahu visited several of his women in the same night and he took just one bath at the end. If he had taken multiple baths, then what would happen? He would not smell of that fragrance anymore. That fragrance would be gone. So this is the evidence. Another hadith, حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا معاذ بن هشام قال حدثني أبي عن قتادة قال حدثنا أنس بن مالك قال كان نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يدور على نسائه في الساعة الواحدة من الليل والنهار. He said the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would يدور, he would Dara Yaduru is basically to go around, meaning he would visit all of his wives. Fisa'atilwahida in one sa'a. Sa'a is translated as hour. It does not mean literally 60 minutes, but rather it means in one go. In one go, in one portion of the night or the day. If it was nighttime, he would visit all of them. If it was daytime, he would visit all of them. Wahunna ihda ashara. And they were 11. At that time, how many were they? 11. Qala, he said, قُلْتُ Anas, I said to Anas, who? Qatada. He said that I said to Anas, أَوَكَانَ يُطِيقُهُ Did he have the strength? Was he actually able? Qala, he said, كُنَّا نَتَحَدَّثُ We used to say that أَنَّهُ That indeed he أُعْطِيَ He was given قُوَّةَ The strength of ثلاثين thirty men. Meaning in general, the Prophet ﷺ was stronger than the average man. Even physical strength. You know, for example, the incident at the Battle of the Trench of Ahzab. 
that when a man came to the Prophet ﷺ saying that he was so hungry and he lifted up his shirt and showed him the rock that he had tied to his stomach, the Prophet ﷺ showed him too that he had tied to his stomach. An ordinary person cannot survive like that. Only a person who has a lot of strength can do that. The Prophet ﷺ would pray in the night to the point that his feet would swell. How many of us have ever done that? So really, he was stronger, he was braver. You know that wahi was not easy to receive. It was not easy to receive. The camel would sit down. Imagine a camel. A companion thought his knee would break, it would shatter. Because the Prophet ﷺ's leg was on his knee. And the wahi came. The pressure was so much. We know the incident when the Prophet ﷺ was praying and a shaitan came and tried to harm him. And the Prophet ﷺ got hold of him and, and he said that if I, I wanted to tie him up to the masjid and so that the children would come and, and, and play with him. But he remembered the prayer of Sulaiman salam, which is why he let that shaitan go. You know how strong jinn are? They're strong. Imagine one of them lifted up the throne of the queen of, of Saba. I mean, that's some strength. But the Prophet ﷺ was able to control him. So really, the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of strength at every level whether it was physical or emotional or mental, or whether it was you know, the strength of his determination, he was given more. And this was a special blessing upon him. This was, you can say, a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ because he performed what an ordinary man cannot perform. He had to accomplish what an average person cannot accomplish. So for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him all that strength. And part of that strength was also to be able to fulfill the rights of all of his wives in one go. In a part of the day or in, in a part of a night. وَقَالَ سَعِيدٌ عَنْ قَتَادَهِ إِنَّ أَنَسًا حَدَّثَهُمْ تِسْعُ In another version, it has been narrated that at that time the Prophet ﷺ had nine wives. And this is correct. Because the Prophet ﷺ, yes, he married a total of eleven wives, but two of them passed away in his lifetime. Who were they? Khadija عنها, and Zainab bint Khuzayma and when the Prophet ﷺ died, he left behind nine wives. So this is more accurate that there were nine. And we know that for a very long time, the Prophet ﷺ had only four wives. It was after the battle of Ahzab that you know, when he married Zainab anha, and after that he married the rest of them. And you know that that was a special exception in his case. And, and the whole discussion is there in Surah Al-Ahzab. So this was indeed a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ. And this hadith proves that a person may have sexual intercourse multiple times before taking a bath, meaning he can take a bath just once at the end. It's not necessary to take a bath and then have sexual intercourse. No, a person can have multiple and take only one bath at the end. Now, there are many people who when they read such a hadith, hear such a hadith, they become embarrassed or they're surprised or they're shocked. And there are people who raise objections against the Prophet ﷺ, against his marital life, you know, based on such a hadith. Because the problem is that we think that if someone is religious, they cannot have, you know, a sexual life basically. These two things cannot go together. Sexuality and religion, they don't go together. This is what majority of the people believe. That if a person has desire, lust, if he's fulfilling that, you know, even in the right way, that makes a person unreligious. This is not the case. We see that where the Prophet ﷺ fulfilled the rights of all of his wives in one night, he also spent nights where he would pray, where he would pray, where he would stand in Qiyam, reciting Surah Al-Baqarah, Ali Imran, An-Nisa. You know, we stand in, in Taraweeh Salah for 20 minutes and we think the Imam prayed for too long. 
and we decide to go to another masjid the next day. Because we cannot stand for that long. Or we sit halfway. Or we keep a chair behind us just to be on the safe side. Imagine, he had such balance that where he had so many wives, each one of them was happy and pleased. At the same time, he was a devout worshiper. But this balance has been lost. And people think that if you are fulfilling your desires, you're not religious. You cannot be religious. You cannot focus on ibadah. You cannot focus on a higher you know, purpose or objective in life. And on the other hand, if a person wants to be more religious, then he has to become celibate. But we see that, that celibacy, when people decide not to have you know, any sexual relations, uh, whether it is for religious purposes or for worldly purposes, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out to the point that now the Pope has to decide whether this is going to carry on in the church or not. Because it comes out, it fails in, in horrible ways. It fails in horrible ways. You know, in sexual offenses, pedophilia, whatever you call it. So many things happen amongst people who are great religious figures. Because our bodies are not programmed for celibacy. They're not programmed for this. They're not made for this. Human beings, they procreate. I mean, this is unnatural. This is unnatural. So the deen is the deen of fitrah. It is the natural religion. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ was the best example that if he can be the most devout worshipper, the most successful man, he also had 11 wives. He also had 9 wives at a time. And he fulfilled the right of every single one of them. You see the perfect balance in his life. When things are done in the right way, with the right intention, in the halal way, then that's a sadaqah, that's, that's a good deed. So don't become worried when you hear such a hadith, when you read them. Have sukoon in your heart. That this was, you know, this only shows to us the strength of the Prophet ﷺ. His success. I was watching this interview of this woman who has written a book on the history of celibacy. And she has mentioned that now she has uh, chosen to become celibate herself. Not for a religious reason, but she said, I want to do something in my life. And I know that if I have relationships with other people, then I cannot focus on what I want to do in life. She said, I want to write books. I want to do research. But I cannot do that if I have a relationship with another person. But we see that the Prophet ﷺ, what did he achieve in his life? He was the most successful person, even in the worldly sense. Yet he had nine wives. So it's possible. This deen is really the deen of fitra. It is the deen of fitra. Because the thing is that if you don't give your body is right, then even that's not fair. There's research going on today whether or not it is possible for human beings to remain celibate. It's not possible. They said that people who claim that they are celibate in their private lives, many wrong things are happening. Because your body is there, your hormones are there. You can't control them. There's fitna everywhere. It's impossible for a person to remain celibate today, basically. So the hadith gives us many lessons. And also remember that if the Prophet ﷺ had nine wives and he was able to fulfill the right of every single one of them, that shows his physical strength and that shows the shahwa as well. Now people say that, oh, the kind of words that they use to describe the Prophet ﷺ, they're horrible. But they use this against him, that, that look at the shahwa. But if you think about it, for a man, shahwa is actually good. Because that makes him a man. If a man does not have shahwa, then he is weak. 
kaslan, lazy, whatever you call it. I mean, he doesn't, he's not a man basically. Do you see what I mean? His, his manhood is not there. So shahwa is actually something positive for a man. Okay? It is actually something positive for a man. And, na'udhu billah, if the Prophet ﷺ had this out of control, na'udhu billah, then he would not have married the women whom he had married. Who did he marry? Only one girl who was virgin. The rest of them were previously married. They had children from before. Or they were old, much older than him in age. And he would not have remained limited to nine or eleven wives either. Because people who, who have such problems, whose desires are out of control, then are they limited to their wives? Are they limited to one mistress? Or two mistresses? No. Many, many. And it doesn't stop anywhere. The Prophet ﷺ was in his twenties when he married Khadija anha, who was so much older than him. Sauda was so much older than him. So it shows that the marriages that he had were for a different purpose. And what was that? To show the balance in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. When he married those women, those enemies became his in-laws. So enmity turned into friendship. Many people accepted Islam as a result of that. And also we see that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they learned sunnah batina, Meaning the sunnah that is hidden from public view. That of the private life. Now imagine, Hafsa anha, Aisha anha, both of them narrated a hadith about, Maymuna anha, they narrated a hadith about how the Prophet ﷺ took a bath. A bath of Janaba. I mean, you think a companion was going to see that? The Prophet ﷺ would go on telling people about it? No. This is something that can only be observed by a wife. So these things we could not have learned unless and until the Prophet ﷺ had those women around him. So there are many, many benefits, wisdom behind the marriages of the Prophet ﷺ. When he was married to Khadija when he was young, he did not marry anybody else. And if he married Sauda, that was because he was being pushed into it. Because he needed someone to look after him, to look after his young children. And because of that, he was convinced into marrying her. It was not about his own himself. It was also about fulfilling the rights of his wives, which is why he visited all of them in one. And this shows that it is permissible for a person to do that. But if a wife does not approve of it, that she says, no, this day is only my day or this night is only my night, then it is not permissible for a man to do that. And we know that later on in his life, the Prophet ﷺ was allowed to not keep perfect justice between his wives. Although he would try his best, but he was not obligated to maintain perfect justice between his wives because he had a lot of important things to do and his situation was also exceptional. He had nine wives at that time. And a man is, you know, fails at pleasing one wife. Uh, imagine he had nine to please and keep happy. Despite the strength of the Prophet ﷺ, he still had a very soft heart. We think physical strength, emotional strength, mental strength, it means that you were very tough at your heart and you have no emotions. No, he was still a very soft person, very gentle. وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيدَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ بَابْ غَسْلِ الْمَدْيِّ وَالْوُضُوءِ مِنْهُ غَسْلِ الْمَدْيِّ Washing off the madhi. Now the word madhi, this is pronounced in two ways. It's pronounced with a sukoon on the dal, so madhi, and it's also pronounced as with a kasra under the dal, so as madhi. Both are correct. 
It's not two different things, it's the same thing. So washing off the madhi, wal wudu iminhu, and performing wudu on account of it. What is madhi? Sexual discharge. So it's basically discharge that is a result of shahwa. That is a result of desire. So when this is excreted, ghusl is not required. Instead, what is required? Wudu. Just washing off the madhi and performing wudu, that is sufficient. A person does not need to do ghusl. حدثنا أبو الوليد قال حدثنا زائده عن أبي حصين عن أبي عبد الرحمن عن علي قال he said كنت رجلا مذاء علي رضي الله عنه he said I was a man who would have a lot of مذي مذاء meaning a lot of مذي فأمرت رجلا so I told a man أن يسأل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that he should ask the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم for me meaning as, as to what I should do why did he ask another man to ask the question, Lima كان ابنته Because of the position of his daughter. His daughter was who? Ali anhu's wife. So he was embarrassed to ask the question about Madi directly from his father-in-law. فَقَالَ So the Prophet said, تَوَضَّأْ Just do wudu. وَغْسِلْ ذَكَرَكْ And wash your private part. Why wash the private part? In order to clean. Because Madi is impure. And secondly, it is said that the benefit of washing is that Madi reduces over time. Meaning then a person gains control over his desire or what? Then less madhi comes out. Bab man tatayyaba, the one who put perfume. Summa ghtasala, and then he took a bath. Wa and it remained. What remained? Atharu tib, the effect of the fragrance. Meaning the fragrance still remained on the body even after having taken a bath. Because fragrance is what? It's oil. Okay, like for example the itar that we use or even other kinds of perfume. So, it gets onto the body. It's not that easy to take it off. And besides, it's not necessary to take it off. Why? Because it is not such a barrier that would prevent water from reaching the skin. We have learned this in detail in Kitab al-Wudu, right? That if the barrier is imperceptible, meaning you can't even see it, it's not visible, you can't touch it, there's like nothing, you, you can't tell if something is there. Yeah, the oily feeling you may have, but other than that, nothing. Then you don't need to Remove it in order to wash. So basically your skin does not have to be squeaky clean. حدثنا أبو النعماني قال حدثنا أبو عوانة عن إبراهيم بن محمد بن المنتشر عن أبيه قال he said سألت عائشة I asked عائشة فذكرت لها So I mentioned to her قول ابن عمر The statement of Ibn Umar رضي الله عنه What was that statement? That ما أحب I do not like أن أصبح That I enter the morning محرما In the state of إحرام I'm smelling of fragrance. Meaning, I do not like that I get into the state of ihram while there is fragrance on my body. فَقَالَتْ عَائِشَ So Aisha anha, she said, أَنَا طَيَّبْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. I would put fragrance on the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. ثُمَّ طَافَ فِي نِسَائِهِ Then he would go to his wives, he would visit them. ثُمَّ أَصْبَحَ مُحْرِمًا And then he would enter in the morning in the state of ihram. And in one night, that fragrance would not go away. So this shows that it is allowed that a person puts fragrance on the body, but it is not allowed to put it on the clothes. Remember that. Okay, meaning on the ihram you don't put the fragrance. On the body that's different. Is it just for a man or also for a woman? A woman, I mean you can, there are different kinds of fragrances, right? Some spread and others just remain, you know, on your body. They don't really spread, but at least you don't smell bad. So that's fine. Or if someone comes really in close proximity to you, then they can smell it. Right? So you can put something like that. 
And in fact, you should because if you are, you know, doing Hajj, you're out in the open, you may sweat, you may whatever. So it's better that you put something on that will not spread. For a man, if it spreads, that's different. But for a woman, her fragrance should not spread. So anyway, we see over here the action of Aisha radiallahu anha. That we see that the wives of the Prophet sallallahu taking so much care of the Prophet sallallahu You know, one is putting water for him, another is putting, you know, a curtain for him, another is bringing a towel for him, another is putting fragrance on his body. Why? Because these actions, what do they do? They grow the love that is there between the husband and the wife. Because the husband feels important. He feels important. And that's the one thing that men need. They need to feel that they are important, that there's something, that they're the king, they're the boss, right? that they rule. Uh, they're the qawwam, basically. Allah has made them qawwam, not you know, just like that. It's for a reason. They need to feel that they're important. So a woman, by these little, little things, she is giving importance to her husband. She is honoring him. She's making him feel that he is someone special to her. And this will in turn make him more affectionate towards her. And then there's a cycle of goodness between the spouses. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة قال حدثنا الحكم عن إبراهيم عن الأسود عن عائشة قالت she said كأني أنظر In another version, she said that it is as though I can see إلى وبيص الطيب I can look at the glistening وبيص is the glistening, the shining of the طيب, of the fragrance في مفرق النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم in the hair parting on the head of the Prophet ﷺ, وَهُوَ muhrim, And he was muhrim meaning he was in the state of ihram. Because she had put the the طيب, the fragrance on him before he entered the state of ihram. So it was like oil. And she put it on, on the head, on the hair. So she could see the shining, the glistening of that on his head. So it shows that a person may put fragrance on the body before taking a bath. And he may also not put fragrance on the body before taking a bath. Both are permissible as we learned earlier. And this also shows that the Prophet ﷺ put fragrance on the head. Where do we put it? Maybe on the hands or on the neck or something like that. Or we spray it on the clothes and ruin the clothes. Fragrance should actually go on the body. It should actually go on the body because that is when the body will smell nice. And this shows that the hair should also smell nice. Because sometimes we have long hair, but they smell bad. Because we either don't wash them regularly or don't wash them properly or thoroughly or whatever. Just because we have straightened them once, so we don't want to wash them for the next two days, two, three days. Because then you have to stand and straighten your hair again. No, the hair should also smell nice. This does not mean that you start putting perfume on your hair. I mean, put those products on the hair, on the head that are meant for the hair on the head. But the hair should also smell nice. If you apply something on the skin and then wash the skin, then whatever you applied on the skin will actually be absorbed by the skin. Why? Because when you pour water on the skin, the pores open up. So the pores will open up. What you put on the skin will be absorbed by the skin. So the skin will be basically infused with the fragrance, with the nice smell or with the nutrients or whatever that you're applying. Bab takhleel al-sha'ri Hatta idha dhanna annahu qad arwa basharatahu Takhleel is from khilal. And that is to run the fingers okay, through. So running fingers through what? A shar, the hair, when taking ghusl. 
hatta until meaning running passing the fingers through the hair okay until ida wanna the person is certain that annahu qad arwa basharatahu that he has made his bashara arwa meaning he has made it wet okay bashara the scalp the skin that he has made it wet after doing that afada alayhi after having that certainty that the skin is wet then he pours water on top so basically when you're passing your fingers through the hair to make the scalp wet you will do that until you are certain that everything is wet the scalp is wet and once you have reached that point of certainty then you'll just pour water from the top or for example if you're standing under the shower then as you pass your fingers through your hair just make sure that it's wet thoroughly okay meaning that the entire scalp is wet behind the ears above the ears you know above the neck on the back so just make sure with your fingers that the scalp is wet because that is necessary that's a shart for the validity of ghusl when it comes to ghusl of janaba then no but after menstruation then yes you have to because basically you have to wet the hair as well after haid and if you can make sure that the hair gets wet thoroughly then it's okay but you have to make sure that it does get wet حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة قالت شساد كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا اغتسل من الجنابة غسل يديه When the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would take a bath after janaba then he would wash his hands وتوطأ وضوءه للصلاة ثم اغتسل He would do wudu like the wudu for salah and then he would wash then he would take a bath basically ثم يخلل then he would do خلال بيده with his hand شعره of his hair حتى until إذا ظن he was certain أن قد أروى بشرته that his skin was made wet أفاض عليه الماء ثلاث مرات then he would pour water on himself how many times? three times ثم غسل سائر جسده then he would wash the rest of the body so if a person washes the head in this manner then less water is used and you also have that certainty that the entire head is wet وقالت كنت أغتسل أنا ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من إناء واحد نغرف منه جميعا نغرف we would take غرفة meaning we would take handfuls of water جميعا together okay meaning we would together take handfuls of water in the hadith that we learned earlier we learned that they would take turns okay over here we learned that they would take the water together other hadith show that their hands would also touch okay so obviously this will happen So these ahadiths, what do they prove? That in ghusl, khilal is necessary when the hair is thick and when the water is less. Two reasons. When khilal is necessary. What are those two reasons? First of all, the hair is thick. That if you just pour water from the top, the scalp will not get wet. And secondly, the water is also less. When the water is, is less, you have little water, then you have to be very careful. And for that, you will do khilal first. And then you will pour water. But if you have plenty of water, plenty, like a shower head today, and then you're standing under it, and you just pass your fingers a little bit, that's enough. Bab, مَن تَوَضَّأَ فِي الْجَنَابَةِ ثُمَّ غَسَلَ السَّائِرَ جَسَدِهِ وَلَمْ يُعِدْ غَسْلَ مَوَاضِعِ الْوُضُوءِ مَرَّةً أُخْرَى مَن تَوَضَّأَ The one who performed wudu في الجنابة, in the state of جنابة, Meaning he was in the state of Janaba to come out of the state of Janaba, he did wudu. And then what did he do? Then he washed all of his body. And when he was washing the body, he did not repeat washing the places of wudu another time. 
meaning he did wudu okay washed his hands face arms feet and then he went on to doing ghusl of the body washing the body and when he was washing the body he did not pour water on his face he did not wash his face again he did not wash his arms again but rather he focused more on the rest of the parts of the body so is that okay yes it's okay a person does not need to rewash those parts so basically wudu and ghusl can be joined together they can be combined together and this is what we see in the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so much so that he would defer washing the feet until the end and he would join them together so much حدثنا يوسف بن عيسى قال أخبرنا الفضل بن موسى قال أخبرنا الأعمش عن سالم عن كريب مولى بن عباس عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة قالت وضع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وضوءا لجنابة The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم placed some water for wudu when in the state of janaba فأكفأ بيمينه على شماله مرتين And then he, he poured water with his right hand onto his left hand twice or thrice مرتين أو ثلاثا ثم غسل فرجه then he washed his private part ثم ضرب يده بالأرض then he struck his hand on the ground أو الحائط or the wall مرتين أو ثلاثا twice or thrice in order to completely clean the hand ثم مضمضة واستنشق cleaned his mouth and nose وغسل وجهه ودراعيه washed his face and his arms ثم أفاض على رأسه الماء then he poured water on his head ثم غسل جسده then he washed his body ثم تنحى فغسل رجليه then he went aside and he I washed his feet. قالت, she said, فَأَتَيْتُهُ بِخِرْقَةٍ I brought him a khirqa, a piece of cloth to wipe himself with. فَلَمْ يُرِدْهَا But he did not want it. فَجَعَلَ يَنْفُضُ بِيَدِهِ Then he began يَنْفُضُ Wiping off the water. How? With his hand. Meaning he wiped off the water from his body with his hand. Instead of using a cloth to wipe himself dry, he just rubbed off the water with his hand. So this is something that we can also do. One is that you use a towel. The other is that you don't use a towel. Then you'll be dripping wet. Okay, water will be dripping off of you. You'll make the washroom wet, you'll make the floor wet. So in that case, what should be done? Water should be rubbed off by the hand. Now don't try it in winter. Try it at a time when, you know, better to do it. Like in a warmer place or time. باب إذا ذكر في المسجد أنه جنوب. When a person remembers in the masjid that he was جنوب, what should he do? يخرج he should leave كما هو just as he is ولا يتيمم and he should not start doing tayammum in the masjid. Meaning a person was in the state of janaba and he forgot and he went to the masjid and when he was in the masjid he remembered. So in that case what should he do? Do tayammum over there? No, he should just leave the masjid, go do ghusl. And come back. So if a person is ever in a state of janaba and he's doing something that he should not be doing, like for example, being the students of Qur'an, we might start doing our lesson or something, reciting the Qur'an, our recitation. And if you remember, while you are reciting, while you're doing your lesson, that I was in the state of janaba, then at that time, what should you do? Stop immediately, take a bath, and then continue. This also proves that when a person is in the state of Janaba, it's not necessary that he takes a bath immediately. It's better, but it's not necessary. He should take a bath by the time the time of Salah comes in. And if he's going to sleep, then it's better to sleep in the state of Tahara. And if taking a bath is not possible, then at least wudu. But remember, it's not mandatory. 
But there are many fabricated things out there which prohibit a person from walking around, from taking a certain number of steps even. I remember somebody mentioned we'd, you're not allowed to take, I don't know how many steps in the state of Janaba. How many? Forty. You can only take forty steps when you're in the state of Janaba, not more than that. What if the washroom is far? A person has to do something, attend to something immediately. Somebody has come or a child needs to be looked at or the food has to be looked at or whatever. Then uh, it's unnatural, right? So deen again is very natural. And you will see from this hadith, it's so beautiful. Our deen is so beautiful. Yes. so much attention. Yes. Yeah. Again, with that mindset that if a person is in the state, has had sexual intercourse, then it's as though he is sinful. And he has to feel guilty until he comes out of that state. No, he doesn't need to feel guilty. It's like those stories. Um, that Angels do not enter where, where a, a Janu person is sitting. I mean, what's the evidence for that? Yeah, you can. You can say your adhkar even, but not Quran. Yeah, you can say your morning, evening adhkar. That you dip your fingers into the bucket, okay? And then you, you pass your fingers through your hair. And when you feel that they have become dry, then you dip them again. And then you pass your fingers again. No, as, as many times as necessary. Okay? When takhleel is shar, you will do that as many times as is necessary to ensure that the entire scalp is wet. That opening the hair is not necessary. حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عثمان بن عمر قال أخبرنا يونس عن الزهري عن أبي سلمة عن أبي هريرة قال أقيمت الصلاة He said the salah had been established meaning the iqama had been said had been pronounced وعدلت الصفوف and the صفوف were also made the rows were also straightened up Qiyaman, people were, you know, while standing so people were standing the rows were made iqama had been pronounced فَخَرَجَ إِلَيْنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Then the Prophet ﷺ came out upon us from his hudrah. فَلَمَّا قَامَ فِي مُصَلَّهِ Then when he stood in his place of prayer, ذَكَرَ He remembered that أَنَّهُ جُنُوب That he was in the state of Janaba. فَقَالَ لَنَا Then he said to us, مَكَانَكُمْ Stay in your places. Meaning don't disperse, don't go away. Don't go to the back of the masjid and sit there. Stay right where you are. ثُمَّ رَجَعَ Then he went back. فَاغْتَسَلَ And he took a bath. ثُمَّ خَرَجَ إِلَيْنَا And then he came to us. وَرَأْسُهُ يَقْطُرُ And his head was dripping. Meaning the water drops were falling off of his head. فَكَبَّرَ Then he did takbir. فَصَلَّيْنَا مَعَهُ And then we prayed with him. تَابَعُهُ عَبْدُ الْأَعْلَى عَنْ مَعْمَرْ عَنِ الزُّهْرِ وَرَوَاهُ الْأَوْزَعِيُّ and when he forgot, he didn't think it was embarrassing to go and take a bath because, I mean, Allah knows. Honesty with yourself and honesty with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the solution is simple. If you remember, then just go take a bath and come back to where you were. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.